0: And I wanted to just kind of uh, start tonight. This Not not a big review, but just to let people know kind of where we're at. You know, I've been really kind of systematically going through the teachings of the Buddha. And um, when I say systematically, there's lots of different systematic ways to go through the teachings of the Buddha. And that's actually one of the skills that the Buddha had, is that he could kind of tailor... uh, Teachings based on the people that he's talking to, or was talking to, and uh, there's still the same kind of systems of teachings are still really applicable. But it, currently, what I'm doing is going through the four noble truths, which are the kind of the basic tenets of the Buddha, of the Buddhist teaching. the The whole of the Buddhist teaching in his first kind of package, and then later it came out in different ways. The four foundations of mindfulness, Satipatthana Sutta, or um, The 37 Wings of Awakening, which was his last kind of culmination of teachings. Uh, So there's lots of different kind of uh, ways in which the prescription is uh, given. and um, So we am kind of mixing things up a little bit. Tonight we would be talking about the third noble truth. But the third noble truth is pretty cut and dry. There is a way out of suffering. There's a way out. And then the fourth noble truth is the way or the path. So we've looked at the first noble truth, second noble truth, first noble truth being that there is suffering, dissatisfaction in this world. In our lives, in all lives. It's not personal. it's It's not just my suffering. It's suffering. And then there's a cause, and that cause is craving, selfish or self-centered craving. Uh, and I've recorded those talks in at, you know at length. I've unpacked each of those, so you could feel free to go back and look through online. So really, what I wanted to kind of do is, uh, uh, so I'm about to go on retreat, and I think I'm actually going to have going to come and teach while I'm on retreat. I'll leave the retreat and come and give the talk here. Hopefully. Um, but I wanted to kind of unpack right understanding, or at least begin to, because right understanding is huge. It's known as one of the ten uh, wholesome attributes to awakening the mind, uh, and it's called straightening out one's views. And really, if you look at all of the Buddhist teaching, it's really just about straightening out our views, seeing things clearly, where we were obstructed before, right? removing the dust from our eyes. There's lots of different ways it's talked about. Waking up from our sleepwalking state. So the title of this talk is, What is What? Right understanding. And I'm taking it a little bit from uh, one of one of my favorite uh, monks. Uh, Buddha Bhikkhu was a rebel monk from the south of Thailand who basically uh, just left the system of the University of Buddhism and just went off in the forest um, because he wasn't going to have people tell him what he had to teach because the, the the school, the kind of hierarchical structure was saying, uh, no, you can't. You can't translate the Buddhist teachings the way that you understand it. You have to translate the Buddhist teachings the way that we have told you to understand it. And he was like, "Screw that!" That because it says right here in the Buddhist teachings, you know, make this your own, right? Understand it for yourself. So that's why I like it. But he had some pretty, some pretty. Uh, not outlandish, but some pretty strong views. But he was a rebel monk. So I'm going to go through, what is Buddhism? It's part of right understanding. I'll end up talking a little bit about karma. Because everyone always wants to know about karma. And uh, then we'll maybe continue on in the future. So Buddhism means right, the teaching of the enlightened. Buddhism, it's like kind of what its translation is. The teaching of the enlightened one, the teaching of the Buddha, the awakened one. A Buddha is an enlightened individual. One who knows just what is what. Just what is what. Knows things as they are. Which is really what this whole practice is pointing towards. And when we're sitting, that clear forest pool image that I gave in the beginning was really about like just seeing what is what right here we all have this this ability when we're not obstructed when we're not lost so seeing things as they are so uh, a buddha is capable of behaving appropriately with respect to all things so this is the kind of uh, what's called the dharma Eye, you know, the understanding and the kind of using of or the implementing of appropriate action in any given situation. Wisdom is really what that means, wisdom. So Buddhism is a religion, right? It is considered a religion, you know. There's something like can't remember right now the exact statistic it's either 80 or 60 percent of the world's population actually uh, believes in buddhism as a religion so it's based on intelligence science and knowledge this is the religion of buddhism Right. The, 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 the purpose is the destruction of suffering and the source of suffering. Right? So this is the destruction of suffering is you know, this unpacking and understanding of the uh, first noble truth and second noble truth. And then getting to the, the goal. Like I talked last, last week about removing the splinter of suffering in all of our heart-minds. So this is the, the third noble truth, right? Craving is the cause of suffering and then that there is a way out from this selfish and self-centered craving. So the Buddha uh, rejected the notion of celestial beings, then considered, you know, at the time of ancient India, considered uh, by a certain group to be the creators of things. So this is really the what's talked about. This is uh, some words from uh, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu talking about how the Buddha was really um, kind of revolutionary in that way. That he was saying, you know, the, this kind of Hindu understanding of, of uh, multiple gods and um, deities is, is, is not right understanding, based on his own wisdom. So the deities were supposed, you know, supposed to, to dwell one in each star in the sky. So what was really big. Uh, in the time of the Buddha in ancient India is astrology astrology was the science of the time and so um, out of that kind of uh, out of that science also got connected in with the, this understanding of kind of of gods and kind of a pantheistic kind of understanding and the Buddha was like yeah this isn't this isn't really going to help us free, be free from suffering That was his point. So the Buddha rejected the idea that making gestures and performing rites and rituals actually ended suffering. So this means like the offering of candles or the burning of incense isn't actually going to reduce any kind of suffering. This was his statement. This was his stance. And this is why people tried to kill him in ancient India. Because he was basically it's basically like someone stepping out of the Catholic Church and saying all of the rites and rituals that the Catholic Church has been uh, you know perpetuating for years and years and years are not actually helpful the Catholic Church would probably be pretty upset and so was the the Brahmins of the of ancient India and still today so this is why he was a rebel this is why I like him the Buddha that is. So he said, uh, you know, just kind of further um, on this point, he said, uh, if the waters in the rivers, such as the Ganges, could really wash away sins and suffering, then wouldn't the turtles, crabs, and fish living in those sacred waters by now be freed from their sins and suffering also? Because in, in, in India, there's that you know, this the waters considered uh, sacred. This river. And um, people every morning go and splash themselves and bathe and, and then they go about their day not really feeling like they need to change anything else about their life. As long as they can wash themselves in this water, then they're relieved of their sins. Kind of like going to confession, but then not doing anything to change your life. So in another uh, teaching he said, you know, if a man could eliminate suffering by making offerings, paying homage, or praying, there would be no, no one subject to suffering left in the world. Because we've all done that, right? If we could eliminate suffering by making offerings, paying homage, or praying, there would be no one subject to suffering in the world, because we've all already done that. Haven't we? I have. I've tried it all. And that's not to say that um, paying homage or uh, praying isn't helpful. Because it is helpful. But if we're talking about ending suffering in our lives, and not just feeling better, then this is, the Buddha was making a really clear statement there. So to obtain liberation, we first need to examine things closely in order to come to a new understanding of our true nature. This is really what the Buddha is pointing to, what this whole practice is pointing to. Like coming to a clear understanding, using our intelligence and our own wisdom, our own deepest wisdom. Buddhism, uh, again, this is words from uh, Buddha Bhikkhu. Buddhism has nothing to do with prostrating oneself or holy water or any external anything. It's an internal job. On the contrary, it depends on reason and insight. I think this is why it's uh, becoming more popular here in the states because reason and insight is something that the science world is known a lot, lots about, and it's and also, uh, you know, there's a there's a certain kind of vein of uh, intellectualism that can be tapped into as a desire to want to learn. So, Buddhism does not demand belief in assumption or theory. So, you don't have to believe in something that is just, it's like assumed that that's true. It demands that we act in accordance with what our own insight reveals and not to take anyone else's word for anything. So, this is like, this is part of, that's part of the rebellious quality in me, the non conformist quality in me. I like to not just accept things just because someone else said them, but to really examine for myself, does this really lead to the end of suffering? So if someone tells you something, you know, don't believe it. Right? This is a, a key teaching of the Buddha. In the uh, There's a, a sutta called the Kalama Sutta, where the Buddha kind of gives a list and says, you know, don't believe anything just because it's written in books or because people in fancy robes tell you or famous people or People that are eloquent speakers. Don't believe the hype. See for yourself whether it's true. And if it's not true, and the Buddha even said really clearly, separating himself I think from you know many of the Brahmins uh, of that time uh, and other spiritual teachers, uh, even if I tell you something that's not true, don't, don't take it on. Only believe that which is true for you and you can experience the freedom from it. DIY, right? Do it yourself. No magic wands here. So this attitude is a key feature of Buddhism, right? Which distinguishes it sharply from many of the other world world religions. Now, you know the essence of Buddhism, and I believe all other religions, you know, is to seek truth. I think all, all religions have these kind of common themes to seek truth to be kind to develop compassion right loving kindness to develop loving kindness you know and to and to be freed from greed hatred and foolishness you know or what we talk about as as uh, delusion distorted thinking this is some of the key key elements i think not only in in buddhism but also in all religions but the way that we go about it is different. The way that all the kind of religions go about those kind of key elements, I think, is very different. And, then, and even within Buddhism, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types of what's called Buddhism. Right? And not all of them subscribe to and or follow the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. There's been other kind of additions as it's been 2,556 years, you know, and Buddhism has spread to many different places. This particular lineage, the Theravada lineage, is Theravada is known as uh, the Path of the Elders, and it's actually gone to great lengths over the centuries to um, really keep in line with the original teachings of the Buddha. So Buddhism, um, I'm going to kind of shift now. Buddhism, you know, can be looked at from different angles, right? From different kind of it doesn't it's not just one thing. It can be looked at as a religion, right? Based on morality, right? Action, harmony, and open heartedness. Right. This can this is part of the kind of religious aspect of it. Or it can be looked at as uh, Buddhism as truth. Right, the truth seeker, deep hidden truth, lying below the surface, uh, and invisible to the untrained practitioner. Right? this is part of that kind of dust in the eyes, you know. The the thing I like about this truth seeker is that uh, it can be uncovered, right, through this practice. So, one of my um, one of my teachers talks about it as being an, an excavation process. Like we're archaeologists, digging to find that deep hidden treasure within our own hearts and minds. So we can uncover through uh, through intellectually understanding, through through gaining knowledge intellectually first. We have to start here. This is part of right understanding. Uh, And So what is it that right understanding really means? It means understanding emptiness. The insubstantiality of all things. Um, it means uh, understanding uh, suffering and the cause of suffering, the four noble truths. It means understanding karma uh, intellectually, and then you know it starts there, and then through experientially. But the difference between knowledge and wisdom is the. The taking of a under of a view, understanding view, and then bringing it into an, a felt experience, a known experience. One of my teachers, Sylvia Bornstein, calls it "little k" and "big k." Right? There's the little k, which is knowledge, and the big k, which is knowing. Talked about as wisdom. So, one of the other uh, you know key elements of right understanding is understanding uh, this, what's called non-selfhood. Which kind of gets back to that insubstantiality of all things. All things, that which arises, passes away. Known as the three characteristics of existence. There is suffering in this world. That which arises, passes away. All things change. Nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. This is right understanding where we can... Uh, not only have knowledge, intellectual knowledge of that, but also an experiential awareness, deepening. Nothing lasts. And then that. There is no fixed and permanent anything. And that includes us. There's no fixed and permanent self. This is probably one of the hardest things to fully comprehend. And I want to just ask you to either just take it on and really just ask yourself this. And it kind of gets into rebirth. And I'll talk a little bit about rebirth uh, in the future. So again one of those deep unpackings that takes lifetimes to understand. But this understanding of rebirth is that uh, you know what gets reborn, just think about it like this, from day to day, from minute to minute, As I talked about karma in a little bit, I'll we'll look into that. So this is I think this is talked about as uh, Buddhism as truth. So Buddhism as psychology, it's actually been around for a long, long time, long, long before Freud, long before Western psychology long before, right around the time of Aristotle, actually. Aristotle and Siddhartha Gautama were alive at the same time in different places, talking very similarly about the same thing. So Buddhism as psychology, right? This is the scope of the mind. What we're really here to do, look at, understand, and free our minds, mind-heart. So where the nature of the mind... So uh, there's this kind of group of teachings... um, Called the Abhidhamma. which is really the, the psychological kind of breakdown from the Buddhist perspective. So uh, Buddhism as psychology, you know, uh, where the nature of mind is described in great detail, right? and then the point of this practice is to turn, is to train the mind and then turn the mind upon itself to reveal where we get entangled. And find freedom from that. That is Nibbana. That is Nirvana. That is freedom from suffering. This is what we're talking about. Who else can do it? Now, I work as a psychotherapist. People come to me all the time. And what am I usually helping them do? Is to point their mind back onto itself. That's my job. Sometimes you know it's hard. <laughs> Just like for ourselves in our own practice, it's hard. You know. So the entanglements and the trappings of our of our mind, of our habits, of our habitual uh, conditions. This is often what we call personality. Habitual, conditional response for our whole lives. This is also what we call self. I am this. I am that. You know, we have all those. It's actually a really great practice to just say I am and then let the answer come and then repeat that phrase. It's called repeated Phrase. It's a part of, of this psychological understanding of Buddhism, the breaking down of the uh, the self concept. I am. And just keep just like just like you do the breath. Breathing in, I am. Breathing out, and then let the answer come. Breathing in, I am. Breathing out, and then let a different answer come. If it if it comes, usually it will. Where does it stop? Nobody knows. I invite you to practice that way. So Buddhism has philosophy, knowledge can be uh, clearly seen through reasoning, uh, through reasoned logical proof found in experimentation, practice, and introspection. This is the kind of the philosophical understanding of, as a scope or an angle that people often look at as Buddhism. Again, kind of referencing uh, Aristotle. Asking very deep questions, and is th- thought of as the father of Western philosophy. Right? Buddhism, Eastern philosophy. Even though actually Eastern philosophy goes back even farther, the philosophical questions, all the way through to the to, umpush, to the empashads and you know the, its own creation story, every culture has one. So this is some of the ways of kind of right understanding. And uh, looking at the different angles and scopes. So, another kind of deep philosophical question that kind of gets, and I'm going to come kind of moving towards karma now, is uh, this cause and effect. Again, uh, logical proof found through experimentation, practice, and introspection. We all know what karma is. It's a universal law. It's like gravity. We don't question what gravity is. We know it. We feel it. We experience it every moment. And then we forget it because it's so common. Right? From the perspective, the Buddhist perspective of right understanding, uh, the cosmos is a moral cosmos of cause and effect. What's called this-that conditionality. This is again where the Buddha kind of stepped out of uh, what was often thought about as fate or predestination uh, from the the Hindu uh, practices. He stepped out and said, no, that's not what's going on here. That there's something different happening here. And here's a quote from the Buddha When this is, that is From the arising of this Comes the arising of that When this isn't, that isn't From the stopping of this Comes the stopping of that This is in essence That's confusing, right? In essence, this that conditionality Cause, causality Cause and effect I'll read it again when this is, that is. From the arising of this comes the arising of that. When this isn't, that isn't. From the stopping of this comes the stopping of that. That's actually the, that's actually the whole path of what's called dependent conditionality. Or dependent co-arising. Or fancy ways of staying Karma and the unfolding of karmic momentum. How are we doing? Is this a lot. This is a little bit heavy. Yeah? yeah. Right understanding is 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 a deep practice. So before we kind of move into karma, I just want to kind of pause here. This that conditionality is uh, basically the way that the Buddha said you know um, when there is craving, well really I mean it's it's the whole cycle there's 12 links of dependent origination. We're not going to go through all of them, but it's basically uh, that there's some kind of action, there's some kind of craving grasping or pushing away. And then there's more craving for pleasant experience or the pushing away of unpleasant experience. And this is a cycle that just continues and continues and continues. And this is why we continue to suffer. And this is what suffering is. We're compelled to find pleasurable experiences. We I mean we really are. It's really instinctual. And there's a whole actually in the time of the Buddha there was a A whole other school of thought that was like, so? So what? What's the matter with pleasurable experiences? Does anyone else think that? Good for you. From the Buddhist perspective, constantly seeking pleasurable experience just leads to more dissatisfaction. Because of the insatiability of craving. It's often what we're calling addiction to comfort. We all want to be comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with having a pleasurable experience. But it's when it's the craving to continue that pleasurable experience. That's actually what the Buddha is pointing to. When craving arises, suffering arises, this, that, conditionality, craving does not arise... A pleasurable experience will arise. No worries. Enjoy it. Right? See, like, I, you know, like I was saying uh, a few weeks ago, seeing a sunset. Beautiful, right? Enjoy it. Allow it to be what it is. And as it fades into darkness, just letting it go. We're pretty, we're pretty good at letting go of sunsets, aren't we? Because we can't do anything about it. Right? But what about when that intimate love relationship fades? Or that Boston cream pie that you're really enjoying? You know, or whatever. Or the new iPhone that you get and then it just becomes, or it breaks. You know. So we have to be aware of that. This is this, that conditionality. This is what's being pointed to. right understanding of karma first of all in the Buddhist teaching he said over and over again because he got you know in the time of the Buddha there was a very is a very like probably in the same time like in the same, in the time of Aristotle there was lots of debaters lots of people that wanted to prove wrong and there was like heavy debates and this still happens actually almost everything that I'm talking about uh, there, there are different aspects of, of uh, some of the different Buddhist sects that would debate back and forth still to this day. In Tibet, it's actually considered part of the practice. You have one school debating a fine point about another school. But the Buddha, actually, he would engage to a certain extent. And then there are certain questions that were called the imponderables. Where he would just say, that's a non-question. It's a non-point. It only leads to vexation and craziness. (laughs) Karma was one of those points. Trying to understand karma, past karma, what happened, why is my experience the way it is now, it just makes you crazy and leads to more uh, suffering. So I'm always a little hesitant to uh, discuss karma. I mean I have a very simple explanation. Of course there's books and pages and you know written on it, but the simple explanation is this, that conditionality, right? And there is karmic momentum. Whatever we've done in the past, pleasant or unpleasant, with good results or negative results, will arise in in either the now or the future. That's the bottom line so live each moment right, as blamelessly as possible and we'll be free from suffering and again the aspect of that okay I don't want to get into that I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that I'll get back to that I want to read this okay this is basically it's the same point uh, words from the Buddha teaching of the Buddha on karma phenomena are preceded by the heart Ruled by the heart, made of the heart. If you speak or act with a corrupted heart, and here heart means heart mind, suffering follows you as the wheel of the cart follows the track of the ox that pulls it. Phenomena. That's all. All things experienced. Proceeded by the heart. Ruled by the heart. Made of the heart. If you speak or act with a corrupted heart. Suffering follows you. As the wheel of the cart. Follows the track of the ox. That pulls it. Phenomena, Proceeded by the heart. Ruled by the heart. Made of the heart. If you speak or act with a calm and bright heart. Then happiness follows you. Like a shadow. That never leaves. Karma means work, action. That's what it means. Uh, One of the ways that I have thought about it is work to be done, is actually one of the ways to think about karma. It's the work to be done. You have a trench that needs digging, karma is the action of doing. That actually comes from uh, some of the the Hindu understanding, the Hindu language of it. It's not fate. It's not predestined. It's not predetermined. This is where the Buddha stepped out from the uh, common thinking at the time. Go ahead, give it a little shake. So uh, Buddhists, however, saw that karma acts like a feedback loop. This is this karmic momentum I was talking about. With the present moment being shaped by both past and by present actions. So the way in which we... So what's happened has happened. Trying to figure it out. Vexation, craziness, right? Present. The only thing we can do anything about. Which is why present time awareness is so important. In this practice. In Buddhist practice. Because it's all we can do. Is meet this moment. Can I meet this moment fully? Can I meet this moment with a calm and bright heart? Can I meet this moment in forgiveness? It's all that we can do. And then the next moment. And the next moment. And this is karmic momentum. So this kind of constant opening to the present uh, puts, puts this whole thing into a, a causal process. It makes free will possible because we can do something about it. It's not predetermined. This freedom is, is symbolized in some, some imagery. I like to think about it as flowing water yeah? or it's talked about as flowing water. Um, There's a lot of kind of like streams, river kind of analogies, and the whole concept of self is considered looked at as a stream. When we think of this stream and that stream, San Lorenzo River and Soquel Creek, what's the difference between them? Maybe some of their physical characteristics, but it's still flowing water coming from actually the same location that just veered off in two different directions going to the same place the ocean so the, some of the understanding of, of karma and self is that self just like the stream or the river is determined by its physical characteristics that are constantly changing as the, as the water increases or decreases so it's actually never the same and the water itself is constantly flowing never the same just Go sit by a river and watch. See if you can see the same... Chunk of water. You can't. Unless it's, you know... A stagnant pool. Even that of our time will change, right? So anyway, this flowing water, right? Sometimes the flow from our past is so strong... In a karmic momentum perspective... uh, The past is so strong... That little can be done except to just stand fast, hold fast to what is happening, what is being experienced. But then there's there's other times where the flow is gentle enough that we can divert it in almost any direction. And this is kind of you know based on our on our our the the fruits of our karmic momentum, our actions in the past. So instead of pr- promoting kind of resigned powerlessness of predestination, predestination pre- you, got, you got you understand what I'm saying? I don't understand how to say it. Predestined or predetermined fate. Instead of resigning to that, it's actually we have all we have all the power that karma is focused on you know liberating the potential of what the mind is doing with every moment who we are and what where we come from it's not anywhere near as important as as our mind's motives in the here and now this is that you know that kind of question are we acting with a with a you know pure or blameless heart mind now In this moment, we can fill our minds with regret of what's past because most of us do that during meditation. There's regrets, rehashing, wishing we'd done things differently, or rehearsing, planning out. Oh, I'm going to do this is going to be like this. Usually, fantasy, memory, fantasy, history, mystery. Spend a lot of time there, where we have no power right now is where we have power even though you know our past you know may account for many uh, inequalities that we've experienced in our own life dwelling on it is not helpful recognizing it can be helpful but dwelling on it just leads to vexation, craziness. Then there's this reference to um, you know the measure our measure as human beings is not the hand that we've been dealt, because that hand can change at any time. It's like it really is like playing poker. I don't know if you guys are Hold'em fans, but, you know, that river card can change the whole game. But we have to hang in there for it. I almost made a Kenny Rogers reference, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So this last kind of aspect I'll focus on tonight is on service. Another aspect of karma. Karma. Another actually way, that you know, talking about is action, also service. So if we see that, you know, people are suffering, and you're in a position to help, in keeping with this kind of Buddhist understanding of uh, freeing our own self from suffering, is to be generous and kind. One should focus not on their karmic momentum, Right, and I actually, when I was in India, I, I experienced some of this, where some of the locals that I had befriended, they would see, you know, they would talk about beggars or you know, different people of different different castes and They would be like, "That's their karma," just like just predetermined, right? And you need to use discernment here, but uh, if we can be of service, if it's suitable, it's only going to be helpful right? versus just kind of resigning. You know, an alcoholic is an alcoholic because of their own actions. And that's, this is their karmic momentum. Right? So, shame on them. Right? There's a real easy way to kind of go, oh well, my karma's good. What about, what about your karma, right? This is into I, me, mine, self, Separation. So instead, we should focus not on their karmic past, but on our karmic opportunity in the present moment. Oh, here's a moment where I can be kind or helpful, timely. But to do so without any expectation right, of getting in return, That's, this is the trick. That's hard, but possible. Someday that you may find yourself in the same predicament, right? And you would maybe hope that someone else would be as kind and generous. You know? I found myself in those situations. I've talked when I talked about generosity. I talked a lot about those situations where I was in self and like separating myself from others. And then through you know, kindness and generosity, just like, oh yeah. Giving is so freeing. And we've all been in places where we needed some loving kindness, where we, we could really use some generosity. And we weren't thinking that much about karma at the time, right? <laughs> so, this is some of my thoughts around right understanding, understanding of karma, kind of Buddhism as a whole, from some of the different angles or scopes of Buddhism, from uh, Buddha Dasa I'm done for now. I'm going to move into rebirth. The rebirthing experience... from the Buddhist perspective. There is uh, an interesting movie... that it's actually from the 80s or something... that I started watching again on Netflix... called Little Buddha. And it has... Keanu Reeves plays the Buddha. It's actually a pretty good story. And actually I think he does a pretty good job as the Buddha. It's worth seeing. And then there's this kind of contrast in the movie... Um, and it's mostly kind of uh, in the, in that particular time in the eighties, uh, Tibetan Buddhism was just about the only uh, Z- Tibetan and Zen Buddhism were probably the, the main Buddhism in in this country at the time. Um, so it has a bit of a of the perspective of of the kind of Tibetan. Uh, Vajrayana understanding of re- reincarnation, but it's great I mean, it's, and it's helpful. It's educational and the story is accurate, fairly accurate. So I encourage you to check it out and we'll, we'll be touching on rebirth, kind of continuing the right uh, uh, understanding theme for another week.